0: All right, good to be with you this morning. So good to see you. Thanks for braving the rain and semi-cold to be here. Um, If you were here last week, uh, we need to thank Keanu Reeves. Uh, the most handsome actor in all of history for this uh, series title. Uh, If you weren't here last week, you'll have to go back and listen to it. But we need to thank him for this. Um, We use Adrenaline Junkies as a way of describing people who like to live life on the edge, right? These are the people who don't mind uh, skydiving. They don't mind jumping out of planes. They don't mind snowboarding and doing aerials. They just don't mind doing crazy things at all. In fact, usually uh, we use this terminology to describe people who are like, they do extreme sports. And so we've been kind of discovering this idea that um, you don't have to be an adrenaline junkie. Like, adrenaline just shows up in subtle forms, not necessarily in extreme sports all the time. That all of us, to some degree... Adrenaline junkies, whether you know it or not, whether you think you're an extreme sports person or you don't think you're an adrenaline junkie All of us are to some degree. It's just a matter of what fuels your life And so we defined adrenaline last week this way uh, that it is a fight flight or flourish kind of life that adrenaline is what allows you day-to-day to to fight flight or flourish and so last week we talked about this idea of fighting and that so many of us uh, love Love negativity. I shouldn't say so many, but some of us just love negativity. If we were to take the confrontation and the conflict and the problems out of your life, the good chance is you would cease to exist. That if we were to take all the things that drive your life, that fuel your life, that move you, if we took that negativity out of your life, you wouldn't know how to live at peace. How odd is it that you couldn't live at peace without problems? And we said last week that uh, negative people can't move forward. We said that that negativity never moves people forward. And we feel like that's something we had to address. And so we looked at this letter written by a guy named Paul, who then began to tell us that in our negativity and in our conflict and in our confrontation, that we're to be cheerful. Now, if you're like me, uh, I'm not very cheerful in the middle of conflict. I'm not very cheerful when things aren't going well and so Paul understands about that, that about us that we're humans and we do get angry and we do get upset when negative things come into our lives and so he said that he he wanted to give us this practice and he said I don't know if you know this but thank you is the way that God created you that thank you is the way that God created you in other words he positioned you in life to be thankful in the times where you feel the most negative negative. and so he said this that your best you Begins with thank you. Your best you begins with thank you. And so we gave you a spiritual practice and we asked you that, hey, even if you're not a Jesus follower, the least you could do is when you find a coworker that drives you nuts or somebody that's a pain in your hind end, the least you could do is find one thing about them, even though you don't feel like it, find one thing about them that you're thankful for. The other thing we said is if you do follow Jesus and and you're struggling in your prayer time, we said it's not that you don't want to pray. Maybe you just don't know how. We said, hey, just start by giving thanks. Like take five or ten things in your life every day and give thanks. And we learned that healthy people, healthy people give thanks. And so that's what we learned last week. This week, we're talking about survive. We went from thrive to survive. And I think many of us live in survival mode. So... Let's talk. Would you pray with me uh, this morning before we begin? Lord, we pray that you would be in these next few moments, that these would be your words, that they would be graceful, they would be kind, they would give hope, and that they may help somebody who needs to hear this today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, some of you may not know that, um, some of you do know, some of you don't know, I was in the military uh, for about 10 years, and I... uh, did a deployment in 2003 to 2004, and often I don't talk about that deployment, not because, you know, I you know, had a really bad deployment. I was shooting all these people, or people were shooting at me. I mean, it was dangerous and, you know, crazy and fun at times. Um, but I didn't have a real bad deployment like some of our other uh, soldiers have. And, and so, but I don't talk about it with people very often. And the reason I don't talk about it is not that, again, because it was bad, but because people who haven't been deployed, just, they just don't understand it. Uh, I I said this morning, it's kind of like the 830 service when you start talking people just kind of glaze over because they can't, you know Connect with what you're talking about. So, you know, we just don't talk about it But one thing I want to talk about today is sort of the reintegration phase into life See when we were deployed we would always say something like hey when we get back to the real world Like, when we get back to the real world, as if the world we were living in in the Middle East wasn't real. I mean, that's about as real as it gets. When we get back to the real world, and what we were trying to say was, hey, when we get back to life, when we get back to our loved ones, when we get back to our living and our careers, uh, life will be a lot better, you know. It'll just be better. And so we were always dreaming about what life would be like. Until I realized, like, that it was going to be difficult coming home. What I hadn't realized is over the course of the year, you sort of turn into this robot when you're deployed. Like, any emotion, any reason, any ambition, all of that goes out the window for the sake of a mission. Like, you give your heart and soul to this. And you sort of just get rid of every, every kind of passion and emotion and any kind of feelings that you have. You just kind of push those down and push them away. So that way, when things come up, you, just, you can deal with them. You sort of get into survival mode. And what I didn't planned on when I got home, Janelle picked me up uh, from Fort Leonard Wood after that. And I remember we went to Subway. And I kid you not, this is what happens. I stood in line for 20 minutes staring at the menu. Because for the last year, I've been trained, right? They feed you. The, the meals are already there for you. You just walk in. I want this, this, and this. Now I have a, a menu. I have choices. And I really had no clue. Like, what do I want? I stood there for 20 minutes. And she looked at me like, when are you going to? Choose your food. Pick your food. Come on, you know, and then we get in the car and we're driving home and somebody cut me off and I managed to string together the only four letter sentence word, a four letter word full of sentences, full of four letter word. I'll get it right. <laughs> the sentence was filled with four letter words. That's just say that. At the end of the day, I'm sitting here screaming at this person in front of me, and and that is the way I kind of expressed myself when we were deployed. Nothing intelligent, nothing smart to say. It was just F this, F that, and at that point, I was saying F you to the guy in front of me. And Janelle looks over at me like, where did my fiancé go? Like, you've been gone for 14 months, and I don't know this guy. You could see the panic and fear on her face like, I'm going to marry this guy in three months. I don't even know who he is. And I can remember coming back and receiving that first hug and that first kiss and like that first embrace from people. And I remember I felt scared and suffocated and I didn't quite understand it, but I had forgotten what it was like over the course of the year to be loved by people. And I didn't realize how much our lives thrive off of love. In fact, if you don't have love in your life, your life probably isn't worth living. And I would say find it somehow, somewhere. You know, we need love in our lives. But at the end of the day, for about a year after that, I was just getting through. I was just getting by. I was present, but I was spiritually, emotionally, physically absent. And I would say I was living off of the bare essentials. I was barely getting by. I was barely surviving. I think so many of us live our every day just like that. From day to day to day to day. You get up and I get up and we just want to survive. Right? And so I define survive this way. It is barely existing on the basic essentials. That you are barely existing in other words, your life, you are living your life to the lowest form that you could possibly live your life. And you're doing it with the bare necessities that you have. So instead of drinking champagne, you're drinking Welch's grape juice. You know, instead of eating steaks, you're eating lettuce wraps. I mean, come on, you know, you're barely existing on the basic essentials. And some of you are probably asking me at this point, how do I know if I'm in survival mode? How do I know if I'm in survival mode? And so here's the litmus test that I came up with. And it's this. If you find yourself saying, all I have to do is just get through, you're in survival mode. If all I have to do is just get through, you're in survival mode. Come on, you get up every day and you've said this. If I could just get through the work week, if I could just get through that homework, if I could just get those crazy kids to bed, if I could just be married or just be dating somebody else, right? If I could, and you're going to say this here pretty soon, if I could just get through the holidays and my crazy family that, you know, I have to hang out, if I could just get through that, Some of you right now are saying, man, if I could just get through this message, (laughs) I get that. Don't worry. There are days I feel like that too. You know, I wonder when I'll shut up. So uh, I'm with you on that one. Uh, But maybe that's how you treat your spiritual life. Like if I could just get to church or I could just get through church, if I could just get through this prayer. Or come on, you've sat down to read scripture and you're like, my goodness, this is boring. If I could just get through this. I know I'm supposed to do it, but I don't want to do it. And I think so often. We allow this word just to be just enough for us. And here's what I do know is that when we live to just get through, you are trying to get through the next minute rather than living in the moment that God has presented you. Like you just want to get through the next minute rather than living in the moment that God has given to you to do something with, to do something monumental with. And I think that so many of us need to move beyond survival mode. And so today I want to look at a story uh, written by a man named John. If you're not familiar with John, um, John was one of the four gospel writers who wrote all these letters about who Jesus was. And one of the things I love about him um, was that he was sort of Jesus' favorite follower. I mean, I know Jesus doesn't have favorites, but he kind of does because he allowed John to go wherever he went. Some of the other disciples didn't get to go. They weren't part of the conversation all the time. And he, over the course of his life, witnessed Jesus do things in people's lives who were just in survival mode, people who were barely existing on the basic essentials in life. And what's so interesting, when John tells us this story this morning, he is setting us up because up to this point, There are about three stories of people who are barely surviving. They are just getting by. And John caps those stories off with this one as a way of saying, here's how we move past survival mode. So, you guys ready for this? Because it's good. It's good. Good for you and for me. Here's what he says. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. In other words, massive party, everybody having fun up at the temple. Good time. You'd want to be there. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool. And he continues, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. In other words, there's these five porches with hangovers on them. And here's what he says, and here's we're going to hang out here in a little bit. He says, a great number of disabled people... Used to live, or used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. This is an important detail. And he continues. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, here's what I love about John. He provides so much detail in his story. And you should be asking, why does he provide so much detail? This story is so layered. It is so stacked. I mean, the big question for me is, where do I even begin? And so this morning, I want to teach before I preach. Is that all right? If you don't know the difference, you'll you'll find out here in just a second. But I'm going to teach before I preach. And the good news for you is I've already done the homework. You just have to hear what has to be said. So pretty easy for you. Just take notes. But what I love is I want to go back to this line. John says in this, he says, Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Now, I want to leave this line up here for just a second because I want to go through this. This is so important. John is, never wants us to take his words for face value, right? There are things that we read and things that we say. We should take them for what they are. But John is an artist. See, when artists paint, right, they paint pictures for you. And when they paint those pictures, they want to tell you a story. And so what John does with his words is he begins to paint a picture for us. And so it's like, hey, I know it says disabled, but I'm not really sure that that's what he means. And I begin to do a little bit of research, and we find that this word disabled literally means to stumble. You ever watch people who are maybe hiking or Uh, They're just tired and they're sort of tripping over everything or maybe they had too much to drink or maybe, you know, you've watched these people sort of like fall over and stumble through life or uh, they can barely keep their feet. This is the picture that John wants to give us is these people who are kind of stumbling through life. Now, here's the important thing. He said these people who were stumbling used to lie there. And again, it's about being relaxed or comfortable. They weren't just laying there. They weren't just hanging out. John says that they have become relaxed and comfortable. Now, you don't know this maybe about the first century, but when they would eat dinner, they would do the Detroit lean when they would eat food. It was awesome. They would just kind of lean into each other, and they would love on each other, and they'd eat their food. And um, that would not be kosher today, but that's how they did it back then. And this is the picture that John wants to give us. everybody just kind of relaxed and easygoing and enjoying it. And so he's giving us permission today. He says, I want you to translate this in a way that says this. There were many who were comfortably stumbling in life. There were many in life who were comfortably stumbling along. And then he tells us for, for, for 38 years, there was a man who lived there. And the reason why he tells us there were 38 years of this guy living here is because he's saying, you can survive for four decades of comfortably stumbling in life. For four decades, this guy was barely existing on the basic essentials. He was just getting by. He was barely surviving. And John says, you can do this for 40 years if you want to, but it's not the kind of existence that Jesus wants for you. And when he introduces us to him, we find that he's on a mat, which actually is a pallet. It's like skid row, right? It's a pallet. You ever noticed a pallet? Piece of wood, a couple inches, keeps things off the ground, right? This is what this guy slept on, right? Piece of, how many of you would like to sleep on a piece of wood, right? Probably not, not very comfortable. But when you think about it, a pallet does the job, right? A pallet would keep this man off the ground instead of the ground sucking the the body heat out of him. And when he would sleep at night, it would keep him off the ground and he would be able to stay warm. This pallet was a platform for him to begin to talk to people and beg from people and ask for people. And John says he became comfortable. He became complacent on the pallet, which I wanna ask you, what is your pallet of Complacency. There are many of us here today, including myself, there are areas of our lives where we are comfortably stumbling along and we don't mind it. We're relaxed. Like, we are Detroit leaning into our marriages, by the way. Y'all don't, you know, just kind of, just, hey, I, I, I love my wife, but I don't really like my wife. You know, somebody said that to me. I'm like, is that even possible? Yeah, it is, actually. Um, and some of your marriages are like that, right? You love your wife, but you don't necessarily like your wife. Or you like your hus- love, love your husband, but don't necessarily like your husband. And they're like, yeah, we've been married for 30 years, 40 years. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I would just prefer not to, not to come home. I don't look forward to coming home. I don't look forward to seeing her. I don't look forward to seeing him. It is what it is. We'll never get divorced. But at the end of the day, we're just comfortably stumbling along in our marriage. Parents out there, right? This is like autopilot parenting. We get home, you're tired from work, you're exhausted. The last thing you want to do is deal with kids who are on the crazy, right? You wanna put them to bed, you wanna put food in their mouth so they'll shut up. You just want to get by as soon as you can, right? Instead of viewing those moments, that every moment that you have with your kid is an opportunity to speak into your kid's life. Hope, truth, life, right? Over and over and over again. Comfortably stumbling along. And John warns us. He says there was a great number. Now this is like the third week we're talking about crowds, right? Always be leery of the crowd. What John says is there were a number of people who were just doing what other people do. Which means there's nothing unique about them. Like when you just do what everyone else is doing, when you just do what the great number of people are doing, you're not doing anything unique. And God has created you for a unique purpose in this life. But instead, we just settle into an average existence. My son came home the other day. They have crazy week at school. Y'all have this at school, crazy week, like crazy socks, crazy pants, crazy hair, crazy whatever you want to wear kind of week. And uh, it was pajama day. Now, when they came out in their pajamas, I thought, are you really going to school? In that? <laughs> yeah, it's pajama day. So they went to school and, and Carter comes back and he's our sensitive one. And he sort of is, is in tune when people are talking poorly and bad about him. And he comes home and he says, I was the only one wearing pajamas, mom. And they made fun of me. Now, dad's advice was to follow the great number the next day. I'll I'll be honest. I'll admit it. Poor parenting. They got up the next morning. Janelle says, hey, it's crazy hair day and crazy sock day. And I said, you know, you could just wear whatever you want. You don't have to be crazy. You don't have to do something different. Just do what everyone else does. Is doing so you'll fit in and I think that was really bad parenting because I I tried to put myself in this position what would I want my dad to say to me I would want my dad to say you just need to be different you just need to be unique don't do what everyone else is doing Because God did not make you an average person. He has created you to do something different in this world. And you, by wearing your goofy pajamas, are living up to it. Don't be like everyone else. But it is so easy to follow the crowd. Speaking of great numbers, you're probably wondering, why does John give us all these detail? When it comes to the great crowd, he tells us the very people that are living there. Now, I do not think this is about the people that he announces in the great crowd. I think he is actually speaking to a body of people. I think he is speaking to the nation of Israel. I think he is speaking to us in our church. Do you notice who's there? He says, there are a great number of disabled people you said, lie, and there were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, why would John tell us that there were blind people? See, I think it's about people who can't see God's future for them. When we talk about the lame, this is the BLT, the Brad's Living Translation. I think it's about the lame excuses that people make for not moving forward in their faith. When he talks about paralyzed, and this is so, so interesting. The word paralyzed translates land, as opposed to water. And again, it's about the image that John is giving us. He wants you to picture somebody who, or a community who is standing on land rather than floating in water. And the reason why he uses land for paralyzed, it's about people who in their day were afraid of the water. Water represented the unknown. It represented chaos. It represented that there was a good chance if you go out there, you're not coming back. And so I would rather stay on land rather than venture out into the unknown. And I think he tells us about paralyzed people because these are the people who are fearful of God's future. But it means stepping into the unknown. You can't see God's future. You have excuses for why you're not stepping up. And you are paralyzed by fear of what God is calling you to do. And what Jesus says next changes the entire game. I think this could be the most important line in the entire gospel, maybe the entire Bible. I know that you know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. No, listen, this is it right here. I'm getting ready to tell you. When Jesus walks up to this man who'd been living there for 40 years, just barely getting by and surviving this man who was okay and complacent, who was comfortably stumbling in his life, Jesus walks up and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, when I first read this, I thought, Jesus is full of dumb and stupid questions. I mean, I know he's like supposed to be God and he's supposed to be smart and, all-knowing and all knowing. and But this is a dumb question. There is a such thing as a dumb question. This would be one of them. That's what I thought when I read this. No, I've been living here for 38 years. I think I would like to continue for the next 30 laying on a pallet. No, doc, I really like this big mass on the side of my neck hanging off. I know I can't turn my face or see what's going on, and I know my face is drew. I just like it that way. We'll just leave it like that. What a dumb question. Until I told you, man, John is deep. Don't send, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to Jesus, don't go to John. Start in Mark. It's the shortest book you'll ever read. It's great. But John takes these first three words, do you want? And he wraps them up in this one Greek word, phileis. Now, I need you to turn to your partner because y'all are going to school today. I need you to turn to him and I need you to say phileis. Pronounce it with me. Come on, look at him now. Say phileis, right? Phileis. This is really good. You, you guys are scholars. I can hear it in your pronunciation. If you know anything about ancient greek which this is what it is david um, (laughs) ancient greek you would know that at the at the very beginning we see this the or what would be in the word theos which is also the same word for god the or theos is the same word for god and so john is saying there is something about this god that i want you to know and this word, thalace literally means God's omnipotent or his powerful want in your life. God's powerful want for you, for me, and for this man who had been laying there for 40 years. And the way this comes out is, do you want what I want for you? Do you want a powerful work in your life or do you want to continue surviving in life? Do you want what I want? And here, by the way, if you're not a Jesus follower and you think this whole God thing is skeptical, let me just give you one reason, a good reason for following. And I love this. I love this. God will never, and the reason why this isn't a dumb question is because God will never extend his power where you don't give him permission. God will never extend His power, His want, His will for your life without your permission. Now the question doesn't seem so dumb, does it? He looks at you, He looks at me, and He says, do you want what I want? Do you want to get well? Can I be honest? My greatest frustration as a pastor and and I have felt so much guilt, and I have felt like it's just been weighing on my conscience for the last three years. I have so many people that I meet with who repeatedly come into me with the same problem. I have the same people who will repeatedly come into me, and they will continue to talk about where they are spiritually, and they wish that they could move forward, and yet the advice that I give them, they never actually use, and they just continue to stay where they are. And I begin to feel like, What is wrong with me as a pastor? Up until I read this story, I was feeling a lot of guilt because I felt like their lives were because I was a bad pastor. Their lives, of them not moving forward in their faith, it was my responsibility. And then Jesus says, do you want what I want? In other words, I can't want it more than you want it. And that was like freedom for me. I have discovered that I've been wanting more for other people's lives than they want for their own lives. And maybe there are people who want it more for you than you want it for yourself. And I think, I think Jesus were to show up here today, if John were to write another letter to us today, he would look at you and he would look at me and he would say, Do you want to get well? Because when we want what Jesus wants, life changes. Isn't that great? That's what I want you to know today. When you want what Jesus wants, life changes. So I'm going to ask you that question. Do you want to get well? Maybe you are new to this whole church thing and you are questioning this whole God thing. I get it. But I can assure you that there is a God who exists who wants to do something powerful in your life. But you have to give him permission to extend his power and his want into your life. You have to say yes. He will never force upon you what you don't want for yourself. And so I would just ask you, if you find yourself saying today, yes, I want to get well, then all you need to do is say, God, I give you all of me. I give you permission to do something powerful in my life. I feel like for so long I have been living on a pallet of complacency. I am comfortably stumbling through life in my finances, in my job, in my relationships with my kids. I'm just stumbling and barely getting by. And today I only realize it is by your power and your spirit that I can be beginning to live in the moment and not just get through the next minute. So today I want you to do something in my life. I want to get well. I would be ignorant to not address us as a community. John does this in the text, and so I'll do it right now. Jolie at first, do we want to get well? Do you want what Jesus wants? Do you want Jesus to do, do you want God to do in the life of this church and in the life of our community what he wants to do, but we just haven't given him permission yet? Can we please, please give God permission to do something in our lives? Can we want what he wants? Because when we want what he wants, lives are changed. See, it's not just about you. It's about the people that aren't here yet. And I always say they're not yet followers because one day I believe, I believe everybody everybody was meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ and so when we want as a church what Jesus wants lives are changed do you want to get well as as we take our step into the future right we've been talking about this last week we shared with you that that we have a, a potential buyer for this property and we have not made any decisions without you as a church community and, and next week on Sunday at 6 p.m., we, we want you to be here to talk through it with us. By the way, we're not closing our doors. I hope, I hope you understand that. Right, we're, gonna, we're gonna keep going. We're gonna still be a church. But God has plans for us, and I think he's moving us into the future. And I don't wanna be paralyzed. I don't wanna be standing on land. I wanna step out into the sea. Would, would you guys be willing to join me on that as a church? Are you ready for that? Yeah. So what do we need to do? part of it, part of it is changing our mindset. Did you know in the United States, there are 300,000 churches, 270,000 of which, 270,000 of which are dying or declining. And you know what? I think most of them are okay with it. Well, I can tell you as your pastor, I'm not okay with just being okay and so we have to change our mind in fact when jesus meets this guy who was an invalid for 38 years at the end he walks up to him and he says hey i see that you are well stop sinning that is so weird what was he doing wrong well i can assure you what he was doing wrong is he just went back to the life that he was living before he met jesus he went back to the pallet he went back to what was comfortable for him And Jesus said, listen, I need you to change your mind. I see that you're doing well, but if you keep doing what you're doing, something worse may happen to you. The death that you don't want to experience. So really, it's not about, God, I'm sorry for my sins. It's really about, let's change our mind about what God can do in our lives, in and through us, for the community around us. Let's change our minds. Let's change our thinking. Do you want to get well i'll let you answer that question over the course of the week would you pray with me lord we do give you thanks for this time for the joy that you bring us and for the hope that we have of god who stands before us as we lay here and says hey do you want what i want i do not want you to be average i want you to be unique in life So God, I pray this morning that if there's an individual here who feels like they are just comfortably stumbling in life, that today they would say, I give you my life. I give you everything I am. And I give you permission. I give you permission to extend your power, your want, your hope, your future for me right now in this moment. I give you my life. Lord, I pray as a church That we would step into the future. We wouldn't be blind. We wouldn't have lame excuses. We wouldn't be paralyzed or fear of the future. But rather we would just step into the sea. Step into the future that you have for us. Would you give us faith? And can we be hopeful about what you're going to do in our lives, in our church, and in our community, Joliet, that we love so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.